Jim on the roof and going church. Uh, firstly, why was the homosexual community so eager to have access to marriage? Well, this question comes because uh, we've been talking about homosexual behaviour over the last few weeks um, as part of question time and and also as part of the Bible's teaching on marriage and also on sin. Uh, And this question here asks about the motive of the homosexual community. Well, if you listened intently about three and a half years ago when the whole hoo-ha from the the big uh, plebiscite debate was on and out there, uh, an important argument was made that marriage is a human right and that it should be available to all humans no matter what their sexual preference. And I think that's probably part of the reason, but probably the ultimate reason, and I just have to guess this, but my guess is that they know how good marriage really is. Uh, The union of a man and a woman in a lifelong monogamous marriage for companionship and procreation is a beautiful thing that God's created, which also stands as a picture of God's love for the church. As Christ loves the church, we see marriage. And I think it's probably likely that those in the LGBTQIA plus community rightfully want all that is good from this aspect of humanity that God has created for all to have access to. But as you'll understand, certainly if you've been listening the last few weeks, you'll know that God has created marriage and defined it quite clearly to be between one man and one woman in a lifelong monogamous marriage for the purpose of companionship and procreation. And so in doing so... uh, It seems that what the community is trying to do is to take marriage, but not as God has defined it. Now, the Bible makes it really clear that a person who has committed homosexual um, activities uh, is welcome to come to the Lord Jesus, as is anyone in any situation. And so we in our church open our doors wide, anybody from any background who'd like to come and hear about the Lord Jesus and would like to understand what it means to be saved by him. And we also know, as we've been looking at Ephesians, that when you come to the Lord Jesus and you believe in him and he takes you from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, in response to that, we then have the invitation to then live as followers of Jesus taking off the old self and putting on the new self. And that is the challenge for everyone who has come to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what they've walked away from. Question two. In Matthew 25, 14 to 30, why was the servant punished when he didn't invest the wicked money? Now, this question has come from our one of our three Bible readings. As you know, we go through Bible Bible readings each week that are are tied in with what Anglicans around Australia are doing and we get little bits here and there and we're up to this bit of Matthew chapter 25 and it says well what's the deal and why did he get in trouble when he didn't want to invest wicked money well let's have a look at the verse again 24 uh, sorry 25 verses 24 to 25 say then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said master I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate I was afraid I would lose your money so I hid it in the earth look here is your money back and so what he has said is you're a harsh man and so because of that he's sort of saying well you know it you're pretty ruthless And because of that, the the servants were all entrusted with the resources and they know that their master pushes really hard to squeeze out a profit. It's pretty clear from this. And because of that, 
If they were good servants, what they should have done is said, well, we are going to follow our master, and because he likes to squeeze out a good profit, we're going to do the same thing, because he is a guy who, who wants to multiply stuff, who wants to move forward. But instead, this one servant, he could have safely put it in the bank, but instead he'd, oh, no, I'm going to hold on to it. He acted in a completely opposite way to the master. And this is how the master responded. And you'll notice from what's on the screen, it actually wasn't wicked money. It just so turns out that the master is harsh. He's pretty intense. But this is where the word wicked comes in. Verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. Maybe not in 2020, but (laughs) ordinarily. And then he judges him in this way. He says, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given and they'll have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, that's Jesus speaking. Like these people who think that Jesus is sort of this baby Jesus meek and mild and wouldn't blow out a candle. You know, it's kind of like he, he's a guy with fire in his belly and he makes judgment very, very clear. And he says that if you've been given something from this master who desires to see things moving forward, growth, that you like, he loves to see people using the gifts that he's given, then don't just squander that. Have the same passion to use the gifts in the way that God uses them and to use his gifts that he's given to us. Question three, is there a difference between submission and obedience? Well, in Ephesians chapter five, verses 21 to 33, that's what we looked at last week. And if you missed last week's talk, I think it's something really we need to all have a listen to because it's so important about how marriage works. Uh, You can jump on our website and you can go to our um, you go to YouTube, you can find our channel, and we've got all the sermons are there as well for looking at, or Facebook. But in that bit, you saw that husbands and wives are to relate to each other in a special way, so that the wife should submit to her husband, and the husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church. But as the wife is submitting to the husband, at the end of that passage, it says that the wife should respect her husband. There's similar concepts there, but it doesn't actually say that she should obey him in that particular bit. But it does talk about obedience in the verse immediately after, which we're going to get to tonight. We see the word obey is used for relationships where children should obey their parents and slaves should obey their masters. So then what's the difference? What's the difference between submission and obedience? Well, obedience is about listening to a command and doing it. Obey straight away. Do it. Whereas submission is kind of a broader thing and a slightly more complex thing than that. It's basically saying, I respect your authority and I'm going to follow your leadership. And I mean, it's kind of splitting hairs, but the submission is an attitude, whereas Um, obedience is is an action in that way and I think the idea of submission is broader and more relational but obedience is more transactional and so to use the same illustration I used last week you know when I go to the fire station to respond to a call I will submit as I said to the authority of the officers in a higher rank than me right And I'll normally do exactly what they say to me to do. But if one of those officers tells me to do something that's really, really dangerous 
and really unwise and illegal, I, I'm, in, I'm obliged to say I will not obey you, even though I submit to your leadership. And I think there's a difference in that situation. Question four, two to come. Should a Christian wife submit to a non-Christian husband? And if so, how? Last week, I hope I really made it clear that husbands are to give up all their rights and put their wife number one in life after Jesus. It's about complete sacrifice to their wife. And at the same time, the wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord and to do so willingly, which we saw from chapter 5, verse 22, which means that she's to willingly live under the leadership of her husband under the ultimate leadership of the Lord Jesus. Now, this bit of the Bible doesn't say that these words are only for people in a healthy Christian marriage. And so Christian husbands should love their non-Christian wives like Christ loves the church. And Christian wives should submit to their non-Christian husbands as to the Lord. I said last week that there is no place for any domestic abuse in any marriage. And so if this is happening to either the husband or the wife, as I said last week, it is right for there to be a separation for safety and for repentance. But ordinarily, if there is no abuse, then a wife should submit to her husband as to the Lord, even if he's not yet a Christian. But if he says to her, you must not obey Jesus, full stop, then the wife needs to obey, they need to submit to her husband as to the Lord. And she needs to firstly obey Jesus above her husband in that situation. And so in that situation, she could not, in good conscience, submit to what her husband has said, because Jesus is the ultimate king of all. But at the same time, she should be seeking to show her husband the respect that comes from a submissive marriage. In fact, so that he might choose to become a follower of Jesus. You know, in, in that 1 Peter chapter 3, there's a sort of a parallel passage. And have a look at this. It says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, and that's the non-Christian husband, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. And I think 1 Peter makes it clear that the submission is not just to Christian husbands, but it's to all husbands. And in doing so, it's actually possible that the non-Christian husband might say, wow, this wife I'm married to, she just seems to have a love that is just, what is it? And then hopefully she'll be able to share with him when he asks about her love for the Lord Jesus. I think that's a powerful motivation to submit to a non-Christian husband. And I think we also see that as a general principle in life. But it's also a fresh reminder that when you marry a person who is not a Christian, then when you do so, wives or potential wives, you're saying that you wish to submit to a man who doesn't share the same core values as you the same deep love of the Lord Jesus. And so if there's time to not go down that pathway, don't go down that pathway. Question five, final question. 
How should a Christian respond when they are wrongly rebuked? Last week from Matthew chapter 18, I showed you the procedure that the Lord gave us for dealing with conflict. And it basically starts off one-on-one in private. And then if that doesn't work, then it escalates a little bit because you bring in one or two others. And if that doesn't work, then it escalates and becomes public. It goes to the whole church. And then if the person still does not repent, then they're to be treated as though they're not a follower of Jesus. But what if that... What happens if you're the one that they're rebuking and yet you know in your heart that you have not done anything that is wrong? Well, if that is the case, then I think you would need to speak to somebody who you trust who is a Christian and say, this other person is saying I've done the wrong thing, but I don't think I am. And then in that situation, speak to them and and, and get their opinion on all these sorts of things. And if they think you're in the right and the other person's in the wrong, then maybe there needs to be a break in that relationship with the first person until there's a chance for there to to have resolution there. This is sometimes what happens when there are differences perhaps in church practice and theology and sometimes it will not be resolved to the point that the, the church relationships can be resolved and maintained. This is painful and difficult, but we trust that as God brings his people together and as there's a chance to talk the truth, that the truth will be clear and that ultimately, speaking the truth in love, there will be reconciliation. I don't know which one of those five was the easy one. They're all weighty in so many ways. I'm going to pray for us in the light of them. Lord, as we have heard these questions, we realise that life is messy. We know that there are relationships that are broken and we pray for resolution in those things. And we pray for truth. We pray, Father, for our marriages, for those especially that are not working well, and for those where one of the spouses is perhaps not yet a follower of Jesus. Lord, would you lead that non-Christian spouse to know Jesus, we pray. We pray, Father, that as we've heard this specific example, that you would help the wives to submit to their husbands as to you. We ask, Lord, that you would be with those who call themselves homosexuals and those who are in that community, the LGBTQIA plus community. We ask, Heavenly Father, that uh, you would lead them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they do that, that they would put off their old self and put on the new self of Christ as all of us who have come to Jesus have done and that we would see the good life of following Jesus as people who have been brought alive in Christ by grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.